How are we doing, church? We good? I want to take a minute and welcome everybody right now who's watching online and, of course, everybody who's over at that cell. Oh, just kidding. South side, north side, everybody's together at the same side. Come on, let's welcome everybody. Yeah, it feels good. Oh, it feels so good. Man, I'm so thankful for this building. Isn't this just great? I know we had Easter last week, but that was kind of like the formal, you know. Now this is kind of like we're just all chill, okay. This is family, and uh, I'm just so thankful, so thankful for this space. Man, God is good, and I want to say thank you to everybody who prayed, everybody who has who given, who's, who's partnered with us and part of the uh, Forward campaign. Thank you so much. Your generosity it has made this happen and is making this happen, and, uh, and God is already using it. I want to take a minute. I want to say a huge praise to the Lord corporately together. We sent an email out, but last week at Easter, we had 127 people make decisions for Christ in the auditorium. Come on, somebody. Let's just thank God for that. Like, that's amazing. That, that is cool. And uh, so thank you so much for partnering with us. God is on the move. If you were one of the people who made a decision uh, to follow Christ, get baptized, all right? It's next week. The most significant thing that you can do following uh, making a decision for Christ, getting water baptized, is powerful. I can't really explain why it's so special outside of the fact that when we do what God asks us to do, he blesses it. It is something that you will be so thankful you did, and it will be one of the most uh, significant moments of your, of your spiritual journey. And then men, men's conference, y'all, come on, guys, let me hear you, all the men, let me hear you grunt just a little bit. It's a little Tim Allen style for those of you who remember that. Men's conference, I'm telling you, this week, last chance, sign up. We've already got over 70 guys going from Summer Park Church. So we're going to have like a nice little section there in the auditorium or in the stadium. It's at, it's at uh, an arena, JQH Arena, which is now like some other name. Anybody know what the name is? So- Great Southern Bank. There it is. So we're going to be in an arena, and it's going to be amazing. And so come, and it, there's something powerful. There's something powerful about worshiping God together. Obviously, church is, is so significant. But when, when you get a bunch of guys together, man, there's just something that, that rises up, a brotherhood. There's a commitment. We're going to hear great preaching, great worship. Uh, it's going to be really, really cool. Can't wait to hang with all of you guys who are going. So if you haven't signed up yet, it's Friday night and Saturday morning. It's just fast, okay? You're there, you're back, 24 hours. All right, just that's just, just you know, it's how we do, right? We're just guys, we just get in, just go, okay, and then we're back. We're, you know, girls, they get there like on Tuesday morning <laughs> for the warm-up pre-sessions. <laughs> just kidding. Nah, it's actually not that much of an exaggeration, but... Uh, but uh, come join us. It's going to be amazing. All right. Well, um, we are in a new series. We're starting a new series today called God Is. And I want to talk about really beginning to know who God is. Let me, I just want to ask you today, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know who God is? Really, do you know him? Because it's possible to think that you know someone and then find out, that you don't really know them. Have you ever met somebody like that? Where like you thought someone, just by their demeanor and disposition, you just thought they were gonna be mean? Have you ever met somebody and, and you got to know, like you just, you just like, oh man, that person, whew, don't wanna get close to them. Like have you ever met somebody like that and then you got to know them and you're like, oh no, wait, you're really sweet. 
your face just doesn't know it. That's, you know, have you ever met somebody like that? <laughs> it's like, you just need to tell your face. Have you ever met somebody like that? Are you married to somebody like that? Or, um, or, or, or vice versa, or vice versa. Have you met somebody and on the outside they're so sweet and they're so warm and they're charming and then you get to know them and you're like, oh my gosh, you are a serial killer. <gasps> and I need to end this friendship right now. <laughs> like I need to get away from you. Have you ever met someone? Or romantic relationships. You know, how many know the, the first date looks really different than the 50th date? Right? First date, everybody's trying real hard. Right? Everybody's trying. You go to the nice restaurant. You take, you take her to the nice restaurant, and, and, and you make sure you shower, men, and, you know, maybe even put a little spray on, and, and then, you know, and you talk in the cool voice. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, the cool voice? It's not your normal voice. It's the, hey, what's going on? <laughs> it's lower. It's like whispery. You think it's like some type of Hollywood thing you're doing? You know, it's like, yeah, it's awesome. Hey. <laughs> And, of course, she's, you know, she's dressed to the nines, and she's doing this thing. Girls, you know, like this thing. And she's like, oh. She laughs at everything you say. First date, 50th date, totally different. 50th date looks like sweats, maybe a drive through Wendy's with a, little, with a little Walmart shopping afterwards. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, you can know somebody, and then you really get to know him or her. And that's, that's what I want to talk about in our relationship with God. Do you really know who he is? And the good news is that God wants you to know who he is. And this is, this is a crazy idea when we think about it, that the creator of all things natural actually wants us to know who he is. And not only know who he is, but have a real, living, vibrant relationship with us. This is God. God is. Who is God? And this is really important. What do you think about God? What do you think about God? Because if God is who he says he is, then what you think about him is the most important thing about you. That's the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer says it this way. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I really agree. If God is the creator of all things, then what we think, and he wants a relationship with us, then what we think about him is the most important thing about us. What you think about God will affect the way you pray. It will affect the way you serve. It will affect the way you treat people. It will affect the way you operate in your marriage and in your relationships. And it will affect your business dealings. It will affect your work ethic. It will affect everything. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks in this series is we're going to be talking about some of the nicknames that God has. You probably heard some of them, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sidkenu. Uh, they're nicknames that people have given God. How many of you, how many of you have a nickname? How many, anybody across this place? Come on, just raise your hand if you have a nickname. All right, how many of you have ever given someone a nickname? How many of you ever heard of a nickname? Okay. So a nickname is usually something about that person, you know, that you, that you give to that person. You're like, oh, they're really, oh, man, they did this one thing and, you know, 
you know, they, they, fought, they fell all the time, you know, growing up. Or, so we call them slips, you know. You just call them slips, you know. Or someone's really tall and skinny, you probably call them slim, you know. Like you, you, you give people nicknames based on who they are or what they've done. And in the Old Testament, that happens. In the Old Testament, you see people who know God and they have these encounters with God and they give God these nicknames. And these nicknames kind of help us understand an aspect of God's nature and his character. See, God is vast. God is, God is immense. It's impossible for us to completely quantify him in one idea. So we have these nicknames that are kind of like facets of a diamond. They give us just a little glimpse into his nature and into his character and help us understand him. And so we're going to be looking at different nicknames of God and helping us understand him in a deeper way. Uh, but before we do, I want, to, I want to look at the name that God gives himself. And it's found in Exodus chapter 3. In fact, this is only, there's only like two times in the Bible where you see God actually describe himself. Everybody else describes their interaction with God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you have your phones, I want to take a look at this passage really quick. And then we're going to go through just a couple of different uh, passages of Scripture today. But Exodus chapter 3, we're going to look at God describing who he is. Now, let me give you a little context. Okay, this is when God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. Okay, remember that story, Old Testament? Moses grew up in Egypt, is on the run because he kills an Egyptian. He's out living in the wilderness. God speaks to him in a burning bush. Okay, so this bush is burning, but it's not getting burned up. And God speaks to Moses, who Moses does not know. Moses does not know God. And God speaks to him through this burning bush. And Moses is, okay, like, understandably a little shocked. It's a little bit like, okay, what's going on here? This bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And God tells Moses to go back to Egypt and set the people free. Now, Moses is on the run from the Egyptians because they want to kill him. And Pharaoh is very, very powerful. So Moses is like, hey, listen, I mean, that sounds great. You're obviously powerful and everything because, like, this bush is burning and it's not getting burned up. But that guy's powerful too. And he doesn't like me right now. So if I go back there, he's going to kill me. So who do you want me to say sent me. Look at this, Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? It'd be cool if I kind of knew who you were. And he says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, not I am, sorry, I am has sent me to you. God says, I am. And Moses is like, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he's like, okay, great. I am. Like, that, that's going to be really powerful, Mr. Burning Bush. Like, okay, hey, who sent me? I am. Think about that. Like, that's what happens. But you got to think for God, it's a pretty boss move, right? Like, if God, if, if God is going to describe, he's like, you know, like, just tell him, I am. Drop the mic. You know what I'm, that's, that's pretty boss. I want to I unpack this because this is really going to be critical for us understanding all of the names of God. I am, the word, the Hebrew word is actually Yahweh. 
It's the word, everybody say Yahweh. 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 And, and this, this word Yahweh is, is, is the phrase to be. So when he's telling him that I am has sent you, he's saying the being one has sent you. He's saying the one who was and is and forever will be. Revelation says I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord Almighty, who is and was and is to come. He is the one who was before it all. And he is the one who will be after it all. He is the rock, the faithful one, the one who spoke the world into existence. Come on, somebody. He was always and he will forever be. He is above all and over all and through all. He's bigger because he's the biggest. He's stronger because he's the stronger, the strongest. He's fastest because he's already there before the race has even started. There's no place he hasn't been. There's nothing he can't do. He is everlasting, ever-present, holy and omnipotent, immutable, unchangeable, steadfast, dependable, consistent, and infinite. He is yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Lord, the great King of the universe, he is. He is. Drop the mic. That's what God does. He's saying, I'm here. And you know what that means for Moses, and you know what that means for you and me, is that he can be trusted. Because he is, because he was, and he forever will be, he can be trusted with your life. You can give him the reins. You can give him control. You can say, God, I want your will. I want your way. You can, you can say yes, come on, somebody, to Yahweh. <laughs> he is and forever will be. But wait, there's more. Turn to somebody and say, but wait, there's more. Come on, tell someone, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. There's something else that it means. Not only will he forever be, but, but the, the, other, the other context is that that they're using and that, that God uses in, in, uh, by saying Yahweh is that he, is, he has a manifest presence. So not only, not only is he, but he will be with us as he is. So his presence isn't just there, but it's with us. So when Moses is hearing this from God, God is saying, not only am I, but I will be with you. How awesome is that? That's, that's amazing. Yahweh, I am, he is, will be. That's, that's amazing. One of the commentaries I read this week said that that announcement is full with the certainty of his attention, his care, his power, and his grace. God is not only saying, I was there, but I also will be here, present with you forever. Man, that's good. Yahweh. In fact, this became the trademark name for God. So people would talk about God, and they would say Yahweh. In fact, the religious people held this name so sacred that, that they would refrain from saying it too much. They would, they would refrain from writing it. They, they, it was something so special that they, would, they, would, they wouldn't even say it out loud very often. But here's what's amazing about Jesus when Jesus shows up. He has no problem talking about Yahweh. In fact, he says he is Yahweh. When, when he starts his ministry, 
Religious leaders have a lot of problem with them, and they challenge him. They challenge his identity. They're constantly questioning him. And Jesus says, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're sons of your, your, your father, the devil. And they're like, no, we're sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, oh, I'll tell you about Abraham. Watch this in verse uh, 58 of John 8. He says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. <laughs> At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself. Everybody freaks out because they know exactly what he's doing. He's saying, before he was, I am. Jesus connects himself to the one who revealed himself in that burning bush. And he says, it's me. That same God is right here in flesh to come make his dwelling among you to ultimately pay a way for you so that you can experience God free and clear with nothing holding you back. This is the beauty of Yahweh. I am, was, and is, and will be, and was with us, and is with us. Jesus says, I am Emmanuel, present God with us. And so what I want to do, just in our, our, first, our first word, what I think might be the most, we looked at I am and Yahweh, but for, for our time today, I'd like to talk about the word that Jesus uses in describing God the most. Because if he is I am, if he is Yahweh, what word does he use to describe God? If knowing what God is and what God thinks is the most important thing about us, then knowing what Jesus thinks about God could be pretty important as well, right? And the word that Jesus uses to describe God is Father. If you're taking notes, write that down, Father. Over 65 times Jesus uses this word to describe God. Father, Luke chapter 10, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. John 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Matthew 11, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. So Jesus, when he's talking about God, he says God is a Father. God is a Father. And Jesus says God is my Father. But then he, he takes it a whole nother level. When he's talking about prayer and the importance of prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he says, this then is how you should pray our father. So Jesus talks to God as a father, and then he says, now he is our father. Now, some of you are like, no, duh, Scott, we've been praying that for a long, long time. If you grew up Catholic school or, you know, parochial school, you said that over and over and over again, our father. But when Jesus shows up, nobody has ever said our father. No one has ever said my father. They looked at God as the creator, the great king of the universe, but not as father. That's way too personal. That's way too intimate. That, that word is loaded with personal connection. And yet Jesus says, that's how I want you to view God. Let me ask you this. Is that how you view him? Is that how you view God? As a father. Now, maybe some of you, you, you had a father who was not good, who, who was not representative of God, who actually ruined that for you. Well, you need to take that idea and get rid of it, and you need to let God's idea of father come and, and fill your mind because it will change the way you pray. It will change the way you live when you understand God as Father. And what I want to do is I want to look at Galatians chapter 4. So go to Galatians, New Testament. If you're in the Old Testament, flip over to the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4. 
and I want to read a few verses and, and then have a few conclusions and then have a time of worship and prayer before we leave. Galatians chapter 4. If you're ready, jump in. Say, I am. Or no, better what? Better yet, say, he is. <laughs> All right, let's do this. All right, Galatians chapter 4. Verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. It's so personal, that, that phrase, Abba, Father. It's, 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 it's like, it's saying like daddy, my dad, affectionate term. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. That verse, that verse is loaded, loaded with meaning. Can we read it one more time? Rewind on the screen just for a second. I want to read it. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God also made you an heir. Man, this is amazing. So good. So good. Let me give you three thoughts on the fatherhood of God that you can apply to your life today, this week, in your prayer life, in the way you live, that will change us. Number one, the father changes our status. Number two, the father responds to our cries. Number three, the father always says, welcome home. He changes our status. He responds to our cries. And he always says, welcome home. We're going to unpack that for a few moments and then we're going to worship. Before we do, turn to 14 people next to you and say, I am a child of I am. Come on, somebody. Tell her, I am a child of I am. You can be. You can be if you want to. First of all, let me tell you that the Father changes our status. We go from slave to free. That's what the Bible teaches, is that when we sin, we become a slave to sin. Sin controls us, and we, we no longer live according to what we want. We live according to the sinful nature. The context of Galatians 4 is Galatians 3. And I just want to read a verse at the end of Galatians 3. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up. Everybody say locked up. Come on, everybody say locked up. Until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith to redeem those under the law. See how he's talking about the law? He's talking about the law held us as a guardian. It held us in custody, locked up. I've never been to prison before. But I've watched a lot of Law and Order, so it's basically the same thing. I feel like I know it. If it ever happens, I'm prepared. I know how to make a shank. Actually, I don't. But, but what Paul is saying, what the Bible teaches is that when you are under the law in the Old Testament, they're under the law, and it locks you up. It was a custodian. It was never the intent. So that's one of the cool things about going through the Bible in a year 
You know, for those of you who are going through the Bible with us in a year, and you, got, you went through Leviticus, and you're like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. But it's, it's good. It's good because it, it, it makes you realize, like, the penalty of sin and how difficult sin is and what sin does. And, and the law was meant not, not as a final destination, but as a placeholder. It, it holds us in custody, ultimately, to show us how frustrating it is to live without Jesus. That's what the law does. It shows us that you can't be religious without Christ. You can't follow God the way God wants you to and the way you want to without Jesus. Jesus comes and he doesn't, he doesn't oppose the law, the Bible says. He actually fulfills the law for us. So that the, in Romans 8 says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he's saying Christ takes the law and he fulfills it so that we can experience a fatherhood with God. So he says, I look to God as father. That's what Jesus says. Now because of what I've come to do in fulfilling the law, I want you to look to God as father. And what that does is that is a, that is a from a slave to a son type of transaction. There's a guy named Francis Lyle who wrote this book called Slave, Citizens, and Son. He puts it really well. He says, the profound truth of Roman adoption. So this is the mindset of the person who, who Jesus is talking to and who Paul is talking to. Was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. All his old debts were instantly canceled. And in effect, the adoptee started a new life as part of his new family. Isn't that awesome? How many of you like your debts canceled? Anybody? Any student debt, any credit card debt, you would just love canceled? If someone adopted you, all of that's gone. All of that's gone. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to say it's like with God. When you become... When you become adopted by God, when he brings you in as his son, he cancels all of your sin debt, all of the debt that you have accumulated and that you will accumulate, that you're accumulating right now, it's canceled. It's automatically getting canceled. It's automatically getting erased. God is taking your sin and he is throwing it as far as the east is from the west. That is good news because that means you're no longer bound by the law but you're free. You're no longer looking over your head thinking, am I about to get shanked? That's true. Paul talks about in Romans 8. He says, we're fearful slaves. We're fearful. We're never, you know why? Because with religion, you don't really know if you've ever done enough, right? Have you said enough Hail Marys? Have you prayed enough prayers? Have you given enough to the poor? Have you done enough things? But see, God says, no, 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 you're not under the law anymore. You are in relationship. You are not a slave, but you are a son. You are a daughter. You are a child of the king. He has redeemed you. He has given you his name, and everything he has, you now get. That is good news. That is good news. A slave lives in fear, but a son walks in freedom. You can walk in freedom. 
Romans 8 really teases out this idea. I wish we had time to talk about the whole chapter. It's so good. But Romans 8 verse 5 says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. See, here's the, here's the beauty of following God. You don't have to give, you don't have to be bound by the world's desires because you're not living for the world anymore. So you, you don't have to follow the, de the desires of, of your flesh or the desires of the world. You don't have to live as the world lives. That is freeing. Do you realize how, how chasing after this world is, is actually not freeing at all? Keeping up with the Joneses, trying to keep up with appearances, it is all a lie. God wants you to be a son, a daughter. He says, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, you still have that sin. The Spirit is giving you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This is a completely different type of living. And we become heirs. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You get everything Jesus gets. Every benefit, every entitlement, all of the favor, all of the access, this is amazing. You don't have to be bound by lust because you have been set free by love. You don't have to be bound by greed because you have been set free by grace. You don't have to be bound by pleasure because you have been set free by the Prince of Peace himself. You don't have to chase what the world chases because the one who made the world is chasing you. That's good news. That's encouraging. That's sonship. When I, uh, when I get home, my, my daughter still does this. My older sons have moved on to higher things like Pokemon cards. But my daughter will still come running. I just, when I get in the house, I just, oh, that's a bad one. I do a little bit of that. It's better usually at home. And I, she goes, Daddy. And she'll come running to me or she'll go running and hiding. And she wants me to find her. So she wants me to go through the house being like, Eden, where are you? And I can hear her giggling. You know, she's like just in this little pocket in my room, same hiding place. She needs to get, she needs to get creative. <laughs> but I, I chase her and I hold her. And I said, I found you and I'm never letting you go. I hold her close and she loves it. And this is, this is the picture of adoption. This is the picture of fatherhood. It's that God chases us and brings us in and changes our status from slave to son. Second thing is that the father responds to our cries. Someone say he responds. He responds. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 
Romans 8 also says, and, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Again, this is, this is personal. This is daddy type of language. It's intimate. And, and God is wanting to communicate that he wants to come through for you and respond to your cries. So when you need something, God wants to come through. A couple of verses, Matthew chapter 7, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew chapter 6, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus goes on and on and on. He says, because of that, ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open. God is literally, it's like he's at the edge of heaven saying, come on, I just want you to ask me. I just want you to trust me. I just want you to lift your hands as a, as a child to their father and say, Dad, will you come through for me? And he says, yes, I will. He responds to our cries. And he wants to come through for you. Some of you today, I want to encourage you with this. You need something. God already knows what you need before you even ask. You're hurting. He sees you. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he wants to come through for you. He's just waiting for you to ask. And the third thing, and we'll get ready to wrap up, is this. The Father always says, welcome home. The Father always says, welcome home. And there's something special about being welcomed home by your father. When I graduated high school, I, I moved to Springfield to, to go to CBC, and, and, uh, and I never went back. I never went back to Detroit. Some people ask why. It's a little self-evident. No, Detroit's awesome. Get off Detroit. Um, but I, I never, I never came, uh, moved back home. But I would come and visit, you know, in college. I would come and visit. And then when I graduated college, I'd come and visit. And my mom was always excited to talk to me when I got home. And so she was a big hug. But my dad made me food. How many know food always wins with the son? And uh, whatever he had, you know, it's cheese and crap. We just have it all spread out. And, and uh, it was his way of saying, welcome home. Even if it was like Pizza Hut, like he'd heat it back up and try to make it the best that it possibly could be. Like literally, this is what, is what he did. It's who he is. Always welcome home with food. And what Jesus is trying to communicate through the Gospels and what Paul is trying to, to get us to understand in Galatians and in Romans is that God always says, welcome home. This is the story of the gospel, is that all of us have made the wrong decision. We've gone our own way, we've done our own thing, and we've done it again and again and again. But literally Jesus, when he's communicating what God is like and what the kingdom of God is like, he talks about this son who asked for his inheritance early from his father, basically saying, I wish you were dead, then he goes and he wastes it on wild living, gambling, prostitutes, and the like. He wastes his inheritance, comes to nothing, is eating with pigs, and he's like, well, I might as well go back and at least be a slave in my father's house. It's kind of a picture of a religion. I haven't done enough to be a part, so I'm hoping that maybe they'll just let me come be a slave. 
But Jesus says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Doesn't judge him, doesn't dismiss him, doesn't say, where's all the money? He doesn't do any of that. He says, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He was right. He wasn't. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. When he's doing that, he's putting, he's putting his robe and he's putting the signet ring on his finger. That signet ring signified that he was a son again. No judgment. He just said, welcome home. And shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate for this. My son who was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the gospel. This is the good news. He always says, welcome home. I want to tell you today that if you've gone your own way, you've done your own thing. This week, you've done your own thing. You've betrayed the father. You went back into custody. The father is not judging you. The father is not angry at you. He's just saying, come home. And he's gonna make, he's gonna make a nice spread. He's gonna celebrate. He's gonna kill that fad calf and welcome you back into relationship. This is the love of the father. When you don't deserve it, you're no longer worthy to be called a son, but he welcomes you home. I pray that that's how you know God. Do you know God like that? Do you know a God that loves you in spite of you? That's the God of the Bible. It's not that he doesn't care what you do. He absolutely does care what you do. But he loves you in spite of what you have done. And he wants to give you a new life and compel you and propel you with his spirit to live afresh and anew. This is the difference. And it is the best thing in the world. And if you don't know him like that, that is exactly who God is. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your word. It is powerful. And I pray, Lord, for those that are here today hearing this, I pray that this revelation would would just resonate in their heart. And I pray that God, that you would speak truth, speak hope, speak life. For those that are away from you, for those that don't know you, I pray that this would be a moment where they find you and they follow you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is so important because this is, this is why one of the major reasons we do church is to bring people home, is to say welcome home. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what? This message is, is not the message I know. This is not the message I have grown up with or I've walked away from this message, but I wanna come home. The Father says, welcome home. You're here today and maybe your sin is overwhelming you. You need to know that there is a God who loves you with an everlasting love. He is calling you and he is saying, welcome home, come on home. And if you're here and you're saying, Scott, this is speaking right to me. I need to make a decision for Christ. I want to pray for you quickly. We're going to worship in just a moment. But I want to pray for you and believe God to do something amazing and transformational. God is speaking to you. The Spirit of God is calling you. I'm going to count to three. And once I do, I just want you to raise your hand and say, Scott, would you pray for me? 
and God will do something powerful if you make a decision to follow Christ. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. You're saying, Scott, would you pray for me? I wanna come home. One, God is calling you. He's, he's, he's asking you to come home. Two, the spirit of God is here. He's drawing you. Three, just raise your hand all across this place. Say, Scott, would you pray for me? Yeah, hands going up. That's awesome. That's awesome. Come on, just lift it up. Let me pray for you. Yeah, right there. Come on, God's gonna touch you. God's gonna touch you. Amazing. Just hold up. I wanna say every person on this side. Yeah, back there. That's awesome. Father, I pray for every person who's, who's reaching out right now. God, I pray that this would be a moment. This would be a moment where they encounter the living God, the God who loves them, the God who has a plan for them, the God who wants to do something amazing in their life. God, I pray that you would do that in the name of Jesus. I pray that your, that your grace would fill their hearts in a powerful, mighty way. God, I pray that you would change them from the inside out. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me across this place? I'm going to ask those that are going to be praying for people to come down to the front. We're praying for people every service, for, for healing, for miracles, for salvation. We want to pray for you, whatever you need. God knows. God wants to come through. He responds to his father's cries. We're going to, we're going to sing just for a moment. And as we sing, if you want to come down, if you want prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. And then we're going to wrap up our time together. But church, would you just lift your hands all across this place? And can we thank God for his goodness? And if you're making a decision to follow Christ, just in your own words, just say, God, I want to follow you. And God, I want to know you as Father. I want to know you as, as, my, as my Savior and as my King for sure, but I want you to welcome me home as Father. And God, I thank you so much. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we recognize that, God, who you say we are is the most important thing about us. So, Lord, have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and come down to the front if you'd like prayer. The rest of us, let's take a moment and worship Jesus.